At RWJ Barnabas Health, we have a passion for heart health. With the largest adult and pediatric cardiac surgery programs in the state, a heart transplant program that's top 15 in the nation, a partnership with Rutgers Health, the latest technology and medical advancements, and nationally renowned care for every heart in every one of our communities. Whoever your heart beats for, our hearts beat for you. Let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org heart. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Hi again, everyone. Matt Locklet along with Sam Kassan. Welcome to Speak of the Devils presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. Special show coming up for all Devils fans who have been blessed on the TV side to have some phenomenal voices bring the action into their living rooms and their dining rooms and their dens. Steve Cancellosi presently preceded by Doc Emmerich, preceded by our guest today, Sam, Gary Thorne, who not only uh, is a name that resonates with Devils fans, but of course, across the country as a national singular voice for this sport. And the fans are in for a great conversation with a great guy. And I was so excited when he was on our schedule. <laughs> oh, they're definitely in for a great conversation. And just the wealth of knowledge that he's had, the the breadth. I mean, we covered a lot of topics, too. We, everything from broadcasting style, how to become a broadcaster in the league, the differences between calling, a, say, a baseball game or a hockey game, it, just even his career trajectory starting at the University of Maine, ending up on the national stage. I mean, we went through it all. I feel like we left no stone unturned there, Maddie. And there, well, there was one stone unturned. I'll, I'll let the listeners hear it, but uh, I was trying to get some dirt on you. And uh, he wasn't willing to bite on that one. I tried my best, but maybe that's better safer off the air. Well, you know what? It, it, we don't want to leave anyone with the wrong impressions. Not There's not a lot of dirt, but there was a lot of fun. <laughs> And that usually involved uh, some late night activities, and that's okay. Uh, you know, an adult beverage or two always makes the night go uh, well. And uh, But anyway, Gary was great to break in with. You know, as I was getting into this profession, uh, and it comes out later in the podcast, you know, I'm very, very blessed to have had him and Peter McNabb and then quickly after I was starting to establish myself, Doc and Chico come on board and producers and directors who took this young whippersnapper of a kid who was wide eyed and raw, but was willing to work with me. Uh, just very, very lucky. And, you know, Gary reflects on it, too. You, the games are important. There's no question about it. But when you look back at a career and you're fortunate enough to have been able to do something you dreamed of from an early age, uh, and then you realize the people you got to work with. And I talk about this all the time at home with my family. Like, you know, Gary's just one of those guys. Like, he just came across my path at the right time and I, I benefited from it. But that's me. For the fans, it's about Gary. And that doesn't that that voice doesn't change, Sam? Right? That is that is a voice that everyone can identify. Oh, it's a signature. That's what I mean. I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and uh, I mentioned this on the podcast. But there's one play that I'll never forget. I mean, the Penguins. I watched the Penguins win Stanley Cups, but the one play I will never forget is before when Mario was going into his first retirement. Mario Lemieux. 
He was playing the Flyers at home in the playoffs, and it was game four, and everyone knew this, the Penguins were going to lose that series. Uh, it was game four. They were winning. They had a 3-1 lead at the time. And, everyone, again, everyone knew he was going to lose in five. So this was going to be the last home game of Mario Lemieux's career in Pittsburgh. And in the final minute, he gets a breakaway. And Gary Thorne, with that signature voice, he's like, Lemieux, here we go. And then just the screaming the score. And, and then he just left for the silence. And just the crowd took over. And just it was just such a, an amazing moment. And that's what I mean. In the national stage, he talked about calling some of the Detroit games against the Colorado Avalanche and the Stanley Cup playoffs. So but he, obviously he has a closer connection to the Devils and with Devils fans more than most. But the entire national broadcast, the entire world has heard him, especially hockey fans, have heard his voice. And he's become such a signature voice of really my childhood growing up watching the sport. And, and you talked about the friendships, and I thought he, that was very poignant that he noted on that. But the thing that stuck out to me is, you know, he was talking about all the people he worked with. And he said, you know, he loved these guys because they were humble. And hopefully I'm humble, too. Only a humble person says, hopefully I'm humble. I, I feel like and he came across that way. You know, there's no ego there. It's just he, in my book, he's a legend. But to him, he's just another guy. And obviously, yeah, I could see the bond between you guys. And I think he really spoke well because, yeah, it's great. We call the games and it's great. We get to be a part of sports. But at the end of the day, it's the people that you work with that you really form those bonds with. And looking back on your careers, I think it's amazing that that's those are the memories he remembers, the people he worked with. Well, let's get to our guest, and I will intro it by referencing a call, which he then laid out and let the crowd tell the rest of the story that he made back in 1988, a moment that we will talk about with Gary Thorne. They did it. They did it. The Devils make the playoffs for the first time in their history. And let's bring in Gary Thorne on that note. It is a pleasure to speak with you. It's been way too long, my friend, and thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Uh, I know the Devils fans are going to be intrigued, thrilled, and interested in the next half hour or so. God, I hope your hopes and expectations are reached on that. <laughs> great to see you again. It's been, it's been way too long. I couldn't believe how many years have gone by. I, phenomenal, uh, the passage of time. And uh, I guess we, we last crossed paths when you and I were doing the Mets, although you were doing the over the air and it was either OR or yep. picks and I was doing the cable side of things, but we would run into each other. Yep. But it's been a long time since then, quite frankly. So what have you been up to these days? Well, I'm still uh, I still do a little baseball, uh, do a little hockey. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not retired, but I uh, fortunately am in a situation where I can kind of pick and choose amongst things that might come up and be available and that I feel like doing. Um, I've gotten off the road, which, uh, time had come after all these years, uh, of covering all these sports, uh, really wanted to be home for my family's sake, but for my own sake too. I, I just, I, I'm a homebody, uh, and I like just puttering around and we live in an area where I can do that, where I've got some room and a little bit of land. And so we have some fun with that. And I, the days are filled with stuff. And I still follow sports and I do some teaching at the Cronkite School at ASU uh, for about three years now. We've done a play-by-play -play journalism course and that's been great fun. So the days fly. I, I often say I don't know how the hell I ever had time to work because <laughs> now that I'm not working full time, I got no time at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not just work, work at the highest level. And we all know your resume, not only with the Devils and the Mets, but your national broadcasts with the National Hockey League, video games, Olympic games. I mean, it goes on and on what what you've been able to do. But before we talk about the start of the Devils, how that all came about, et cetera. 
I'm curious, with the course that you teach, how is it different from a course you might have taught, say, 20 years ago about play-by-play, or is it still the same? No, no, it's entirely different, Matt, I think, as you'd expect. Uh, there is so much more involved now in, in doing broadcasts of sporting events than what there was even 10 years ago. Uh, it's not just about doing the game anymore. There's so much that announcers, broadcasters have to be aware of. I mean, uh, the class, before coming on with you, I just finished a class. Uh, and one of the things we talk about, the NIL stuff, uh, broadcasters have got to be aware of what's going on in this NIL movement, particularly in the college and even at the high school level and, and uh, who you're hired by and who signs the check and how much difference does that make as to what you can say and what you can't say used to be that you were hired by the radio station or TV station independently of the teams that you covered. And generally that's not the case anymore. And uh, so you've got that, you've got to have that under consideration. We've got the gambling thing as broadcasters, you've got to understand that you, you are part of this sports gambling big picture because everything you say and do could have an impact on money being wagered. And you've got inside information oftentimes that people want when you might not even know they're getting it from you, but they're asking you questions that are going to affect how they bet. Uh, so it's all of that, I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't there five years ago, five months ago, some of that wasn't there. So the whole thing changes um, and has changed and will continue to change as we go along and see how all these things fit together. But it's a, it's a different broadcast world. Speaking of, since you're talking about broadcasting, what advice would you give, or maybe do you give, to students who are aspiring to be in the broadcast world? Well, it's, number one, you've got to start with the basics. I mean, we, in the class that I teach, we go back to the very beginning of this thing, and what is play-by-play? How do you cover an event, whatever the sport may be? What are the important aspects of that event that have to be brought out? in basics, just defining the setting. You got to know how to do that, to do an open to a game. You've got to know how to put stories uh, in your, we call it the saddlebag, put stories in your saddlebag that you've got ready to use during the game uh, regarding players, teams, franchises, whatever it may be. I mean, the, the basics are still there that have to be done. How do you follow the play? What's the difference between radio and TV? Uh, painting the picture that we always talk about on radio, following what's on the screen when you're doing TV. So all of the basic stuff is there and and has to be done. And I always tell the students, uh, you know, in fact, I labeled the course, the art and science of play-by-play broadcasting for a reason. I can give you a little bit on the science. I can help you with some of the habits you want to get and the ones you don't want to have and how to put a play-by-play broadcast together. But the art of it is up to you. It's going to be who you are and and being able to finding a way to be who you are while you're doing a broadcast and not try to be somebody else, not trying to put on a broadcast voice, if you will, because you can't do that in this day. I don't think you ever could, but, but certainly not now because the games are so long in every sport that trying to have some kind of a artificial voice that you're using to do play by play, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And the fans are so much more knowledgeable about the technology of the games and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And it, all of that has to be considered. So those are the things I, that we that we highlight, that we begin the course with and we move on from there. It's interesting you say the art. So how long did it take you to find your own broadcasting voice? 
still finding it early on or still finding it. It does. Uh, <laughs> that's the other part of this. It never ends. I don't think it ever ends. There are still things I say during games that I go, Oh my God, what the hell was I thinking? Why did I do that? I've got phrases that I use that I don't like trying to get rid of those. Uh, uh, I don't like, I've never liked listening to my own voice. I've never liked listening to recordings. I very rarely, and I don't think this is a good thing, but I very, very rarely ever went back and listened to a game that I broadcast. And I probably should have done more of that in order to improve what I was doing. But I, I didn't. Um, and so I just, I try and add to it by, by the very things I teach, by being aware of the sport I'm doing and the players and the franchises and the people involved and trying to present a, a picture of what's happening, set the stage, why the game's important, who the people are you want to be aware of, who are the stars in this particular game. I mean, but you're always trying to do that. And then the conversational voice, I mean, I hope, you know, the way I'm talking to you right now is the way I talk in the air. That's my whole point of, of doing games, because if you're not yourself, then the art of broadcasting, you're never going to reach that level. You're never going to become the artist because you're always trying to be somebody else and not you. But the two sports you're most associated with, baseball and hockey, are vastly different. And so you have the conversational voice, but there are differences in cadence and how quickly you need to describe something, no? Oh, yeah. Yeah, obviously. And I thank God for that because I can't imagine having done sports year round with sports that were played at the same pace. I mean, that would have been awful. Uh, you would have died earlier, I guess. Uh, so it's great. Baseball is a storytelling broadcast. You have a lot of time, too much time. The game is too slow. I'll put my opinion in on that one. Uh, but as a broadcaster, you got plenty of time to tell stories. And so you do more of that. In hockey, you have very little time to tell stories. you got to fit it in in a 10-second burst if you're lucky. Uh, but I love doing that because that means you've really got to work at both of those and figure out how to be able to tell the stories while still getting the play-by-play -play in. And, uh, I mean, I love baseball because I, I really love the game and I love the things that go on while everything's standing still. I like the pitcher, you know, turning around and moving his shortstop. I like the outfielder on the two-strike count going left or right. I like the little things that are always going on in the game uh, that make it interesting and make it flow for me. And in hockey, it's just the pace. I mean, it, it, it's the magnificent pace that I've I'll never, I'm always in awe of hockey players. Uh, everybody forgets you have to skate. That's number one. Well, hell, that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Now, granted, these guys have skated for a long time, but it's still not easy. And then you're supposed to make decisions in a split second on the ice as to what to do with the puck and where you should be and which way you should be going. I mean, uh, to me, the job of playing hockey, the players are, are really exceptional. Uh, in in being able to get the job done. So I love that stuff. I mean, I love doing the games and I have a passion for both those games and for others too. I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed basketball. I enjoy football. I've done a lot of both. And, and the aspects of the game where you see athletes playing at a top level, to me, in, in every one of those sports, that's what it's all about. That's what, that's what you're looking for. You were born in Maine. We know that you did uh, the Maine Bears. Uh, when you were cutting your teeth in broadcasting. And then in 1987, you come to the New Jersey Devils. How did that come about? <laughs> That's my Lou Lamarillo story. <clears throat> At that time was the new GM of the Devils. 
Lou had been the coach at Providence College in hockey and then also the coach and athletic director at Providence. It was during the time that I was broadcasting Maine hockey. And so we traveled, uh, you know, we did all the games. And so whenever I went to Providence, I always cornered Lou to come on with me and do a pregame interview that I could use during one of the breaks. And he would always do it. And uh, so we kind of got to know one another during that time. And then I go to New York in uh, 85 to do the Mets. And lo and behold, here comes Lou to New Jersey to do the Devils. And uh, I got a call completely out of the blue one day from Lou uh, who said, uh, you want to do the Devils hockey? That's how it happened. I mean, it was that simple. But it was all because of the background we had with one another. And he obviously uh, felt that I did a good job and had listened. If anybody who knows Lou knows he's pretty much aware of what's going on in every inch of the earth with everybody on earth, uh, to his credit. I mean, he doesn't miss much. And so, uh, he made the call and, uh, I was just, you know, thrilled and uh, had a chance to come over and do the games. And you were paired right out of the box with Peter McNabb. I had to look it up because I had forgotten who you replaced Al Albert and Stan Fischler. Yes. At the games the year before, and I had forgotten that. Uh, but Peter and you get together and you form this incredible on-air relationship. And I know a friendship that exists to this day. What what was it about you two? What is it about you two that you get along so well? I, I have a little insight having been around the two of you, but why don't you share it with our listeners? Uh, well, as we're doing right now, we're laughing. And that had a lot to do with it. Peter and I both have, I hope, have pretty good senses of humor. And uh, I think we're both a bit, I hope we're both a bit on the humble side. I mean, I know Peter is, and I hope I am too. Uh, I, I never tried, we all have to have ego in this business, or you don't get anywhere, but you'd want that under control. And I think both Peter and I did that. And we had fun. I mean, we both loved the game. Uh, Peter with the great insight that he had, I could always turn to, to get answers, you know, from how a, a player viewed the situation. And, and I love the pace of the game and the, and the excitement of it. And we just got along. I mean, we hit it off. We, we were able to talk to one another just as, as friends right from the beginning. And that continued and it continued on air, which is the beautiful part of it is if you can have a friendship like that and then take it to the airwaves and have it come through for fans, which I think it did, then it's a great setting and it's a great partnership and people enjoy it uh, both for the game and for the fact that we would, you know, we'd, we'd exchange stories on the air and exchange a couple of yucks along the way and, uh, and have some fun. And as we were talking before we started this, you know, this is supposed to be entertainment sports are, I understand it's a, you know, multi-billion dollar business at this point, but still for fans, it's supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to be fun. And I think Peter and I tried to make it that way. We were with the Devils until up through 93. I just wondered, during that time, is there any favorite game you called or memories or something that jumps out to you from that period? What's my favorite game, Matt? What would it be? Oh, uh, Chicago, 1988. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Should I just let you guys do an interview between the two? I can, I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there isn't even I, – I don't think there's another game even close. And not that there weren't other great games and great moments, but – I mean, that game in Chicago where the Devils finally made it into the playoffs on an overtime goal by John McLean, 
after Darren Pang makes a save, kicks it up to the top of the left wing circle. McLean winds up and blasts it. Game over. Devils go. Rangers don't. I mean, it was it was the last game being played in the season. We were it. It was a night game in Chicago. Everybody else was done. We were told the Rangers were sitting in the locker room at Madison Square Garden. The Zamboni was on the ice, and they were either going to take the ice up or resurface it. Because if the Devils won, the Rangers were done. And if the Devils lost, the Rangers were in. That, I mean, that you can't get much better. When, when in sports, you can get to that point where everything is so simple and so clear that you don't have to explain anything. I mean, you, you're there. And that's what happened in Chicago. And I always, I always treasured the game because of what it was and, and how exciting it was. But it, was, it got so intense. Chicago didn't have any interest in this game in terms of where they were going to go, what they're going to. But as the game went along, you could just see Chicago decided we're not losing this damn thing. Maybe we got nothing on the line, but we are not going to lose this damn game. And so it was like a playoff game. And they were doing everything they could to beat the Devils. And that's the and the intensity of it just kept going, ratcheting up and up and up. And the fans at the end of it applauded the Devils. I mean, it was such a great athletic event that the fans appreciated the effort that had been put on by both these teams. And you get you get Chicago fans applauding you as a team from somewhere else. You've done something because that doesn't happen very often anywhere, but much less in Chicago. So that was the game. It was a great game. Does that rank up there with some of the, even the Stanley Cup games you've called? And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there have been, I mean, some great Stanley Cup games. The <clears throat> the Colorado series with Detroit during the years when they were both so good were great games. But but this one's right there with it because it did have that intensity to it, and that had a result that was so clear. You know, for the Devils to be able to go to the playoffs was a big deal. Uh, and, and to make it on a goal scored, you know, in the very last game of the season in Chicago was just great. In a game the Devils had to win. Ty was not going to do them any good. In fact, I went back this morning to listen back to your call and, you know, uh, they, they have that old clock of sports channel graphics, right? The old yep. 1988 graphics look and the clocks there. And you and Peter are talking about, you know, a tie does not do the devils any good. And you're approaching three minutes to go and there's no shootout. So it's got to happen in the next three minutes. Otherwise, you know, and what a crazy year that was anyway, you know, the, you fire a coach and then there's a goalie that comes out of the Olympics and leads the devils. Uh, it was just phenomenal, but yeah, you had to win. Devils had to win. Yeah. yeah. What, what was, was it like? One. I'm curious. What was it like that day? Cause talking to the players like Johnny Mack and, and, and Kenny Danico, they'll tell you like, they obviously knew what was up, but also like Lou was doing things like, Hey, if you needed, a limo to the game. Like I was going to give you every chance to be at your very best for this game, knowing it's important. So I'm just wondering if you and Peter had that sense of history as well. I mean, you knew what would happen with the win, but what was that day like? Do you remember? It was very calm. Actually, it was so clear as to what the importance of the game was and what it meant that I found it a very calm day. It was, there was, the only thing about it was the anticipation. 
You just want it. And I think the players felt the same way. Let's go. Let's get this damn game underway. Let's play. That's what we're here for. There's nothing else to be said. There's nothing else to do. Uh, you didn't worry about storylines or what you were going to say during the game. I mean, it was all right there in front of you. So it was just a matter of let's get this damn clock running and let's play this game. That's that's the way the day felt. And it's just like it would never end. Like we weren't going to get to the evening and weren't going to get to this game. And uh, when we finally did it, it was everything you hoped it was going to be. How did you end up getting involved in national broadcasts? Because obviously work for the Devils, but where was the anchor that either got you into ESPN or some of the, the national scales? Uh, well, there's no question that being in New York was number one. I mean, I there's no way around this. And it's as true today as it's ever been. You, If you're in New York, you get exposure. You don't get anywhere else. And I'm talking about national exposure. Uh, you know, Sinatra was right. You can make it here. You can make it anywhere. In the because people believe that, and and it's partly true. It's it's a tough, it's a very tough market in terms of an audience that knows what, that knows sports, and that has high expectations, and that is very loyal and, and involved in their teams. And so being in New York got me the exposure, um, and going to the the national level. I mean, I was the first host of the sports reporters that was on ESPN. And that came from a producer, a network producer, who uh, had heard me doing Mets games and liked what I did and called one day to my agent in New York and uh, said, you know, let's set up a meeting. We're going to do this new show and I'd like Gary to host it. And that's what we did. Well, that's, that started it on ESPN. Then ESPN wanted me, uh, saw the work I did, did in New York. Again, it matters. Wanted me to do some games for them, some uh, football games to start with. I did Big East basketball. I mean, did all kinds of stuff with ESPN. And then, of course, they got hockey. And they didn't have anybody at the time on, uh, to do hockey. And came to me and said, look, uh, we'd like for you to do the be the lead broadcaster and play-by-play -play for our hockey package. And that was because I'd done the devil. So I'd been exposed again in New York. And uh, so that's how it happened. It was a matter of a ladder that fortunately for me, I, I, I just was able to continue to climb because of what I was doing. You've worked all these sports, basketball, even wrestling. You've pretty much done it all. What is your favorite sport to call then? I, know it's, I assume it's between hockey and baseball, but do you have a favorite? No. I mean, I've... I've been asked that a thousand times, and, and I, my honest answer is no. Uh, I can't imagine not having done baseball. I can't imagine not having done hockey. Uh, I can't imagine not having done football. Um, while that may, you know, the other two sports I'm probably more known for, when I did football for ESPN and ABC, I got to do uh, some big games. Um, you know, to go out to Ohio State or Michigan State or somewhere, you got 110,000 people in the stadium in a in a matchup of a great rivalry. And the the great part of that was I the broadcast team that I worked with, some of whom I was fortunate enough to hand select. Um, it was such a team effort that that part of it was so enjoyable, and it's something I treasure to this day. That uh, from my spotter to my to my to the analysts, to the, the people who worked with me in stats, 
I mean, uh, producers, directors, I got to work with some great people and had some great relationships developed out of that. Uh, Marty Aronoff, one of the great statisticians ever, all time in every sport, who lives in Washington, D.C., was, was a, is a dear friend and somebody who I worked with. And at the time, his son was also involved in doing things. And we did a season where Marty was the analyst and his son was my spotter. And I always kidded with them. I said, you know, someday we're going to do a game where I'm not going to look at the field. I'm just going to turn around. We're going to have a board <laughs> and I'm going to do the game based on what, what you two tell me, what you tell me as a spotter and you, the information you give to me as an analyst. And they were so good. Uh, I swear I could have done it because that, and that was the kind of relationships we had uh, working as a team. And I, I really enjoyed that. Well, I might get fired for asking you this next question, but as a kid, I grew up from uh, Pittsburgh, PA, obviously a Penguins fan. And the one throughout the entire history of the team, whether it was the Stanley Cups, all that stuff, the one play I'll never forget was the 97 playoffs, Penguins, Flyers, the Mario breakaway in your call. Do you remember that game? What it was like in that moment? Yeah. Uh, well, with Mario, <clears throat> I mean, one of the things that happens in all sports is you obviously, you come to the front of your chair in certain parts of the games based on the athletes and what they're doing. I mean, you know, you go back, I guess if it was Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig coming up, you probably sit up a little straighter. And if you got Mario Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky out on the ice or Patrick Waugh and Ned or, God bless if you get Gretzky moving in on a breakaway on Patrick Waugh or Marty Brodeur. I mean, when you get that level of players performing, you, you, I mean, you can't help it as a fan. And I am a fan. I mean, you really sit up and take notice. So with Mario on the ice, you were always waiting to see what was going to happen next because he was so dominating. And so when he got the puck, when he was involved in the play, you really, you were just waiting to see, all right, what's going to happen now? What's he going to do now? So yeah, I remember, I remember on that, and I remember, I remember Mario, and here he goes again, and you're like, well, my, here we go, and, and you just get up and get into it. You know, your your passion for sports comes through, and you said you love all sports, and you're a fan, and I think that on the local level, going back to some of your current work as an instructor. What's lost is there's so much of an interest. And now there have been guys who have been homers who have made their name and are in various halls of fame and God bless. But there has to still be appreciation for what the other side has done. You're not going to celebrate it. As a devil's announcer, I'm not going to celebrate something that happens against the devils as I would if they did something positive. But I'm like you, Gary. I'm sitting here mesmerized by what these athletes can do. And if I come out of my seat because it's someone from the opposition that does it, well, so be it. But I think that is being hammered out of play-by-play guys a little bit. It's all just that, not all, but a majority of the view has got to be skewed toward what the home team wants. And I, I think that's disappointing. Yeah, well, I think we're going back to the signs of the check kind of stuff. You know, the expectation is if you're hired by the team or even by the station, if it's involved with the team in a deal, uh, they want it to be as positive as possible, and you're expected to be the a promoter, a seller, if you will, of the game, of the team. Yeah, I think that goes on there, but I've never had a problem saying 
don't misinterpret fans. And I believe this. As I said, I am a fan. Fans will follow, are loyal to their teams and love them and want them to win and all this kind of stuff and can detest opponents uh, who are good and who play against them. But I think all fans deep down appreciate great players and great plays. And while they may, you know, damn it, it was against us that it happened, they still appreciate it. And to have an announcer or announcers who don't, that's that's not fair and it's not in line with the way fans really feel. You don't go overboard about it. But when Mario Lemieux scored the five different ways you could score against the Devils, <laughs> I sure as hell wasn't going to underplay it. I mean, for me as a fan, what a moment. I mean, yeah, it's against the Devils, and I wish it hadn't happened for the Devils' sake, but this guy's about to score an empty net goal that's going to give him a goal in five different ways in a game. That's that's something you, you recognize and, and celebrate uh, for the ability of an individual to do that. So, yeah, I think you're right. Though I think you're right, I think a lot of announcers feel pressure mm. to be very careful about anything negative they say about their team and to sometimes go overboard on the positive part of it. Yeah, and, and I have to say, in my time with the Devils, whether as I broke in working with you and Peter and then moving along with Doc and Chico on the TV side and now transitioning for Long time on the radio side, I've never, ever once, not once did I get called into Lou Lamorello's office or Ray Shiro's office or now Tom Fitzgerald's office and saying, what the heck was that all about? So they have given me the latitude to call it as I see it. And, you know, fortunately for the Devils, there's been more good than bad. And yeah. late, lately, a little more bad than good, but that's been turned around. And uh, so I've, I've never felt that pressure. But I do know, and, and you do too, Gary and Sam as well that there are announcers who feel that and are told as such, and uh, it shades their call. Uh, what do you think about hockey today, Gary? Oh, I think it's good. I mean, the, the ability of the players continues to ratchet up, which it almost seems impossible because you look at how, how good they are and how, how good they've been. And yet you continue to see uh, size is, I mean, these guys are so big in many cases, playing the game and still playing it at the same speed and pace. In fact, at a faster speed and pace, the games opened up because of some of the rule changes and uh, you know, the double line passes, et cetera, where you can, where you get to move the game along a little quicker than you would have before, which keeps the flow going, which I think is good. Uh, I mean, I, I can, I still look in, in just amazement at the way guys play and, and it's been going on for some time now, but for the athletes who play hockey, uh, you have to know what you're going to do with the puck before you get it, which is a pretty amazing statement because once you get the puck, you're going to get slammed and or you're going to have a poke checked away or something, but you're not going to have any free moment to do something. You don't have time in almost every case to get the puck on the stick, then look, then decide, then make the play. You get the puck on the stick and you make the play right now. So you got to know what you're going to do with it before. So that kind of intelligence that's involved in the game, and it's been created because the players are so much better, so much bigger, and so much faster. And the ice size hasn't changed. We keep on going with the discussion about should we be in an Olympic surface because the players have almost outgrown the playing surface, which I think there's some validity to that. But at the same time, 
they've been able to adjust amazingly to be able to to pick the mental game of the up so quickly that they can still perform the way they do on a on a relatively small surface. I know we talked a little bit about Merrill Lemieux and some of the great players, but who were some of the athletes you really enjoyed watching or calling, whether it be hockey, baseball, even football, just in general? Who are some of your favorites that you've been able to call? Well, unfortunately, I, I guess probably it, it always ends up being the stars because they're the ones who you, who you who you remember the most. I mean, I always love doing Gretz games. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, uh, unquestionably to me at least, you know, the greatest hockey player who ever lived. Uh, his numbers so far exceed anything that anybody else did, both in terms of if you compare it to other hockey players or if you take it and compare it to the sports leaders. What he's done is is absolutely phenomenal. And I always enjoy talking to him about how he did it, because here's a little guy in, in what turned out to be a big guy's game. Um, and he may have had Marty McSorley on the ice <laughs> as a protector for a lot of the years. But at the same time, there were plenty of people who were more than willing to, to take a shot at him if they could have found him. But they couldn't find him. And it, it, I marveled at how many times... He would get the puck as the greatest scorer in the game, be wide open. And I say, how the hell do you, how do you do that? You know, and Wayne would always say, and, and to this day uh, says it, that he saw the game, he saw the ice differently. He saw what was going on and what was happening in advance of what happened. He knew where the space was going to be created that those the other people on the ice didn't see in time. And he went to it. And it's amazing to me. I mean, he, and if you watch games, you'll see that that's exactly what happens. I mean, if Gretzky's on the ice, you know, you you think you're going to watch him? <laughs> you think you're going to have somebody trying to do even a one-on-one or two-on-one or something? You're damn right they are. And they still couldn't stop him. And if you watch games, you'll see he kind of drifts away from the play, and so the defense kind of drifts away from him. And the next thing you know, he's at the – He's at the circle on the other side of the ice, wide open, slapping the puck into the net. And he did that for a career. And to me, that's that's really amazing. I mean, I mean, so in hockey, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed watching him play. I, I enjoyed watching Eiserman play with with Detroit. Uh, the intensity of which he played was was phenomenal. I love to watch uh, with the Devils. I mean. Kenny Danico on defense, you know, you talk about somebody who came prepared to play every day, every game. Uh, Kenny did that on a team that really did that. Slava, when he came over, Fatisov uh, showed us a style of play that we hadn't really seen defensively before and how strong he was on defense uh, and how tough he was to play against. Watching Marty, I mean, you got a Hall of Fame goaltender who uh, stood on his head nights when, when he had to, to make saves. I mean, they were great during the Mets games. I mean, there were so many people I watched. I, uh, a great fan of Keith Hernandez, who I continue to think is the best first baseman I ever saw play and is underrated even as to what he could do at first base and what he meant to a team. Gary Carter, the kid for his enthusiasm for the game and his leadership on the field. A guy like Rafael Santana, who nobody ever even knows, was the Mets shot stop in the 86 World Series team and all those teams during those years. Rafi was a constant. He was a gold glove type player, but he was so quiet 
and so removed, if you will, from publicity, because that's the way he wanted it, that he hardly ever got any credit for it. But I've always thought he was a centerpiece of that Mets championship team and, and virtually nobody, there aren't many you could probably name the shortstop, even if they followed the Mets. So those are the kind, I mean, I like people who, who came out ready to go, ready to play, who cared, people who cared. Athletes who really wanted to perform at the top of their game as best as best they could every time they came out. That to me was a to do that in a longevity sense. Those those are the athletes I think are who are really worth being looked at. And speaking of guys that come prepared, my last question: Got any good stories about Matty Lachlan over there? You can share of your days gone back. It was early on together, <laughs> but there might've been red wine involved. I'm not sure. The Possibly. key to that question is that you can relate. And the answer to that part of it is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> let's just say we had fun. Yeah. Let's just say we had fun. We did That's the right. same thing we were talking about while we were on the air. You had fun. That's what you're supposed to do. Exactly. Well, came, hey, look, Maddie came prepared. Seriously. Maddie came prepared. Maddie was involved in the games, knew, had a role to play, and knew the information he had to have to, to d- properly perform that role. And he was always ready to do that. And you talk about team players. I mean, the same thing happened when I was doing the Devils. When I talk about working as a team, when it was Peter and I and Stan and Maddie, I mean, we had a great crew. We had a great producer. We had a great director all of whom had a real good time during the game, doing the games. And we enjoyed one another's company. And on the road, when they had an opportunity to get a dinner in somewhere, I mean, that was a special night because it didn't happen very often. And we really enjoyed it and treasured it. And to me, that's, that's a huge part of this, of this job in addition to doing the games. Yeah. Uh, some of those names, Jackie Lyons, who was yeah. producer, then Roland Dratch, who took over for her. I know he was breaking in in the latter years of your run with the Devils, and he's been doing it uh, full time since 95. Joe O'Rourke, the great director. Uh, God bless Joe. Uh, what a wonderful man he was. Taught me so much. I know uh, you enjoyed yep. working Lovely. with him. Yep. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot to love there. And and John McComb, who was a fabulous stage manager, he liked to have some fun too. Had a lot of experiences and just, uh, I know I feel fortunate to have worked with great people like that, yourself included. And uh, yep. it, I don't know what path was, designed for me that day that I was born. Uh, but I have been blessed, honestly, to to work with some great people. So, uh, yep. you know, you spring hey, it's the name of the game. Things. In the end, it's the name of the game <clears throat> for in for you, for us as individuals. It is about, yeah, we get to do the games. We get to see great players and all that. But it's the people you end up in relationships with as part of your part of your job that become the most important things I think that, that happen in your career. And those you, you have, or you stick with over decades, uh, even though you may not work with them anymore. I mean, those are the kind of friendships that really matter. And, uh, you know, they'll be there if there's a need uh, somewhere along the way, you know, there are people you can call. And to be able to say that is, is a big deal. 
Without question. And we should end it on that note, but I will end it on this because you are going to emcee the upcoming U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremonies December 9th in Denver. And the only reason I bring it up is not simply because it's an honor, another one that goes on on your resume, but because of those who are going in. And I'm just going to keep it to the devil's side of things. There are a lot of great people going in, but Peter McNabb, your partner, will be enshrined, and Stan Fischler will be enshrined. So the enshrined. So those relationships are maintained, and the stories will be told. And I imagine that's going to be a very special night for you. Yeah, I I really can't wait. And I did not know when when I was called by USA Hockey and asked him to see this. I did not know who the inductees were going to be. And I haven't asked them whether or not that that was one of the reasons they asked me to do this. Uh, but I looked at, uh, you know, obviously I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. And then I went and looked to see who was going to be inducted. And I was like, oh, my God, almost every one of these people is being inducted. I have had some kind of a, a real personal relationship with and a friendship with Jerry York, who's going in for Boston College, their longtime coach. I mean, I did all the Frozen Four games when those teams were, were winning and playing in it. I, I, I looked at that list and I was like, virtually every single person going in, I've had some kind of a business, a personal relationship with over the years in the broadcasting. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to see what this dinner is going to look like the night before. <laughs> Hopefully we'll make it to the night after. <laughs> well, it is an honor for you. And of course we congratulate, uh, you know, Stan and Peter, please give uh, Peter our best. I'll see uh, Stan, before the uh, before the induction, but uh, please give Peter our best. We know he's in for a fight, and uh, hopefully it comes out all right for him. And uh, what a great 40 or so minutes we've been spending with you, Gary. We could spend another 40, but uh, it's been a blast. Thank you so Thank very, you. very much. Thank you. Thanks for asking. I really enjoyed it. Well, among others, Tony Granado and Jenny Potter will be inducted into the Hall of Fame when Gary MCs that dinner on December 9th. But There will be a devil's flavor to it, unquestionably, with him at the mic and Peter McNabb and Stan Fischler going in that night. A special moment for a franchise that started out on some rocky waters coming over from Colorado, no pun intended, from the Colorado as the Colorado Rockies turned into the New Jersey Devils. Took a while. They made the playoffs in 88. Gary was there to call it. And then the torch was passed on to Doc Emmerich in championships. And now Steve Cangelosi again doing it on the TV side. And just a wonderful ride it has been. A special night it will be. And special to have Gary as our guest. We could have done another 40 minutes and not even repeated ourselves. Uh, what a great guy. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly hope we can do another 40 minutes with him somewhere down the line. And obviously very fitting the devil's connection there with Stan as well as Peter and to have Gary there. I think it's just very fitting to have him be the MC of that event. Yep. And we thank him for his time. He still remains busy. And I think we all hope that there's a chance for him to do some more hockey. Uh, it's a voice again that uh, many of us recall and many of us were drawn to. And so hopefully he gets that chance in the near future. But on that note, we'll wrap things up for this edition of the podcast. Sam, lots of fun and looking forward to uh, more interesting topics and subjects and guests on the show. Let's do it again, Manny. Always a pleasure being with you.
Let's do it real soon. So again, thanks to Gary Thorne and thanks to you, our listeners. We appreciate your company. It's very much appreciated. For Sam Kassan, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thanks again. Until next time, be safe, be well. So long, everyone.